And welcome to episode 75 of the Retrospectus podcast, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co host, James Sterlings. James, we've returned to the strategy genre with a bang. This is a game I've been wanting to do for a long time. Um, I've played a lot of these impression games, strategy games before. They're town or city builders, and they kind of have a unique take on um, on this genre. Have you ever played any of these impression games games before, or have you played anything from the city building genre at all before, or is this your very first time? Uh, is Warcraft Three a city builder? <laughs> no. Does that count? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, well, actually, I've played a bit of something like City Skylines before and SimCity Two Thousand years and years ago, over a decade at least. Um, but I never played any of the impression games growing up. I I believe you played Caesar and Zeus previously. I've actually played all of them, although some more than others. So I played a little bit of Caesar, um, a bit more of Zeus, and I've played Pharaoh the most. But Pharaoh, I found extremely difficult when I was playing it when I was younger. So I never got very far. Mission three or four in the 60 mission <laughs> campaign was as far as I got before I gave up. And, and that kind of makes sense. These are... At least back then, they were kind of difficult games for me to wrap my head around, and the tutorials weren't too friendly. But um, I've I've wanted to return to this genre as a informed adult for quite a while to to try and see if um if they're as good as they seem because people talk very very highly of these games and the legacy they've left. But uh, you know, it's twenty years on. How good could they really be? I can totally see a game like Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom being difficult for a child like. I wouldn't call this game difficult, but you do kind of benefit from having a very basic understanding of how economies work. Uh, and it's not something I'd expect a small child to grasp, to be honest. Yeah, also a degree of planning goes a long way. I mean, the way I used yeah. to play these games was I used to just do one thing after another, and I could never quite hold the balance of it all in my head at any one time. Um, but yeah, we're here to play it today and review it by today's standard. And that is exactly what we do on the Retrospectors podcast. See, uh, for those for those who've never listened to us before, what James and I do is we play these classic games of the past with the intention of examining them from a modern lens. We're not here to be nostalgic about our childhood experiences or even to evaluate these games in the context in which they were produced. We just want to know, are they worth your time to play today? And did we have a good time playing them, which we have over the past couple of weeks? So yeah, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom, we'll get to that in just a moment. Um, before we do, we'd just like to say that there's a bonus episode available to you or will be available to you very shortly on the Retro Asylum podcast. So um, about six months ago, we had Chris from the Retro Asylum podcast on our show to cover Fallout 1, which was a cracker of an episode. We had lots of good discussion on that one, um, and I'm glad that we finally got to do a Western RPG. And we decided that we would return to his show uh, to do the sequel, Fallout 2. So we've now recorded that episode, and it will either be out by the time we're you're listening to this, or it will be out very shortly. So I um, highly recommend you go and check that out, because we basically, on, on that episode at least, we use the same format that we do on this show, which was uh, very cool for Chris to let us follow that same modern perspective uh, discussion. And I think that um, I think there will be a great episode, and if you want more retrospective goodness on the Fallout series, uh, definitely check that out. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed guesting on their show. I thought, uh, I thought Fallout 2 was, a. it was very similar to the first game in some ways, but in others I think it was surprising. I really, uh, it was really funny listening to Chris go on about the combat, though. Yeah, uh, Chris did not have a good time with the combat. I mean, I honestly... Uh, none of us did uh, but you know that's just the that's just how the combat goes and fallout yeah uh but yeah no it's um it's fantastic sequel episodes every time we do one i really enjoy them because we get to kind of skip over all the time we spend explaining stuff and get right into the critical discussion which is what i love about it so i think um i think it'll be a good episode to listen to and we'll we'll drop a link to either the episode or at the very least that their their podcast so you can subscribe to them and be ready for it when it drops so with that out of the way time to talk about the game and how we played it so uh, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom luckily is a game from 2002 released for Windows so um it, I it worked flawlessly for me I just got it off good old games and so did James I assume um and we both used a widescreen patch and technically the game works perfectly you can alt tab which is always a blessing uh did you in encounter any technical issues james um i didn't encounter any technical difficulties with this game um midway through the week one of my hard drives died um and it made the game unplayable but you know that's not really on the game is it now um so i had no problems with it honestly the widescreen fix you just drag and drop it out of a folder into the installation directory works perfectly um i was running it on a 2k monitor had no problems whatsoever um Honestly, you know, it was a very, very smooth experience. And definitely do recommend that widescreen fix. The nature of this game is that it's like a top-down city builder, so having that extra real estate so you can see more of your city at once is is just a really nice addition to have. It doesn't give you any kind of, uh, I guess, gameplay advantage because, you know, you can pause the game at any time and scroll around. It just delivers the information you need in a in a more palatable way. Yeah, if I had to nitpick, I'd say the only problem with it is that the UI doesn't scale up very mm-hmm. well. That's like, it's not anywhere close to unplayable, though. It's perfectly fine. I got over it within a couple of minutes. It was better than Civ 4, I think, which, is, yeah, Civ 4's UI got ridiculous. It was just a little annoying. Yeah, so for those who've never heard of this game before, um, it was first released for Windows in 2002 and was co-developed by Impression Games and Breakaway Games. Breakaway Games was another studio that uh, worked on some of the expansions for Pharaoh. I don't know exactly how much each one was involved on this game, but they're listed as co-developers. It's the sixth game in the loosely connected Impression Games City Builder series, which includes Caesar, Pharaoh, and Zeus. To give you an idea of how these games are related, they all follow a somewhat similar formula in how you construct a city and then uh, construct improvements to it but they are they are thematically different and they do have subtle gameplay differences think of something like total war rome and total war medieval warfare like they're both games which have a lot of the same basic building blocks but they're skinned differently and they have different nuances because of the different setting the game takes place over seven campaigns in ancient China. It starts with the Xia Dynasty. Uh, just, just a forewarning, I'm going to be mispronouncing a lot of Chinese game names this episode, so I'm going to do my best. So it starts with the Xia Dynasty, which started around 2000 BC and progresses all the way to the Songjia Dynasty, which is around 1200 AD. So each campaign is about five to seven missions long. 
you're tasked with developing cities, although it's probably more accurate to call them towns. This isn't like SimCity or City Skylines where you have cities of, you know, tens and thousands of people. I would say, you know, most of the time, at least in the campaigns I played, uh, it's between about 500 and caps at about 3,000 in terms of what you can effectively use. And um, your goal is to realize the mission's objective, which can include things like having your residences reach a certain level of opulence, have high production of a particular resource, or achieve military domination of surrounding towns. It can also be a combination of these things, you know, like it'll say, you must reach a population of 2,500, you must have a thousand people living in elegant dwellings, and you have to have four trade routes open with neighboring towns, something like that. Or you have to... Um, be producing 12 terracotta per year and once you've successfully achieved all those objectives it ends and you can move on to the next mission um you play as the leader and developer of one of these towns as you take it from an empty plot of land into something far greater so i was thinking what the best way to give you guys an idea of what this game actually plays like at least in the early phases and i think the best way to do that is just to talk you through what you do in these early missions um, to give you an idea of like the the level of control you have over your development and the scale that it's on so i'm going to keep talking for a while james i hope you don't i'll just i don't know i'll sit on my phone or something. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get to the uh, discussion in a second but i think it's really important to set the scene so the first thing you do is you drop a bunch of housing plots down and people will immediately start moving into those houses and they'll occupy those houses. Um, your first goal is to provide for the basic needs of your citizens. So this includes safety. So you build a well, you get some engineers to keep an eye on structural collapse um, and later on stuff like herbalists and police officers to keep the peace. So you drop your housing plots, people move in, and you, then you start building buildings uh, that provide safety mechanisms for your citizens. Um, once your citizens have moved in, they then go to work in those buildings. And buildings need workers, you know, from your residences in order for them to function and do that job. And that happens automatically. If you build, if you build a, a building and you haven't specifically set it to be dead or... Uh, you haven't specifically set it as a low priority, then your employees will automatically, then your citizens will automatically become employees of those buildings and they'll start fulfilling that function automatically. Um, you then need some basic food. So you'll build some hunter's tents or you'll build some um, fishing, uh, fishing like huts. And then they'll start once again, once they got people in it, they'll automatically start doing that job. But you're not done quite yet because it's not enough to be gathering food you need to supply you need to sort out the supply chain so you need to build a basic storage for food and the basic storage building for food are the um are the mills and the mills store food so once the hunters have hunted and killed killed the animals they will then take it to the mill and it will sit in the mill but you're still not done <laughs> you need to distribute that food so you build a market square you build a food shop in the market square and then the owner of the food shop will come and collect the food. They'll take it back to the market and then they'll start distributing the food. And that is the absolute most basic thing that you can do in this game to, to build up your town. 
So you might be asking, why am I doing this? Why am I jumping through all these hoops? And some of it is just you're trying to satisfy the mission objective. But what you're really trying to do in these early turns is you're trying to improve the quality of your housing. So the idea is that when your houses first begin, they'll be shitty little huts. They'll be, they'll be literally living in squalor um, in something that resembles a shanty town. But if you can improve the standards of living of the people in your town by providing them better quality food, by giving them water, by giving them access to terracotta, by giving them entertainment, the lives and standards of your citizens will grow and grow and grow and grow. So these buildings become bigger. They're able to have more and more population. Um, and they physically change on your map, which is very cool. They start off as these shanty towns, and then they become more and more elegant. And in by improving the lives of your citizens and improving the housing, you also get access to extra workers. And then you can use those extra workers to build and access more luxury and industrial resources. And that's what you do. You build your town up and up and up, giving your citizens increasing access to specialty goods so they can get rich enough to pay your taxes. And that's what it's all about. <laughs> so to give you ideas of another, I guess, economic supply chain that happens, let's talk about terracotta. So in order to get terracotta pots to your citizens, you need to build clay pits where they harvest clay. You then need to build kilns to smelt the clay into pots. You need to build storage for these terracotta pots. And then you need to buy a, buy and build a terracotta shop to distribute it. And this is kind of the systems that this entire game is built around. There's all of these economic supply chains that you need to maintain and balance in order to improve the lives of your citizen and build up your town overall. Yeah, I would say that the the thing that stands out the most to me about this game is this feeling of like balancing this equilibrium of supply and demand because as Patrick said as the quality of life improves for your townsfolk more people can live in each house so for example say in your village all of the houses are really nice and they can support 20 people right uh, assuming that they have good quality food and access to terracotta pots so you do that and then something goes wrong and your supply of ter terracotta falls out for a couple months and suddenly the you know your townsfolk are cut off from pots what that means is that the houses then devolve and then all of the people living in them all of the excess people leave and you like lose all these workers and then because you lose all these workers half of your farms aren't staffed now so now your foods it's kind of like balancing this house of cards and if one of the cards falls out from the bottom the whole thing can collapse spectacularly um, and you can get sent back to square one. So it's a very delicate balancing game and managing of your economy. Yeah, your economy is very heavily integrated and it's integrated in many different ways. And like James said, if something falls out of place, it can have a lot of knock-on effects. Um, I will clarify that I don't think it's like, oh, I have a problem, everything's ruined. It There is kind of, the, the game is constantly running on a clock and you certainly have a little bit of time before things really go completely sideways. Uh, like if you run out of a food source or you run out of hemp, that you'll still have 
you'll still generally have a bit of storage, a bit of safe time before it all falls apart. But James is absolutely correct that if you are not able to identify and correct the problem, that the whole deck of cards can uh, can fall apart. Yeah, and, and this doesn't necessarily result in game over because there's actually only two ways to game over in this game. The first is you have to be in debt for 36 months in a row or three years, um, and then the game will just end if you can't get you know back into surplus. Um, or if you get completely dominated from a military point of view. But that never happened to me um, in my, like, 30 hours of playing this game. So it's actually quite hard to, like, lose-lose a mission. You will often have your house of cards fall down, but it's it's kind of funny because if you put that one card back, it's like all the rest of the cards will eventually you know, set themselves back up on their own without you having to do much. You just kind of need to fix that one thing and then the House of Cards will, you know, push itself back up eventually. So the the big thing I wanted to talk to you about first, James, is, and we're kind of touching on it when we talk about our understanding, is the learning curve of this game. So I've come to this game with some level of experience. Now, not a great level of experience. I've never got very far on these games, but I had a basic understanding of how they functioned. What was it like for you to learn this game? Did you find it intuitive? Did you find that the tutorial campaign did a good job uh, explaining to you what to do? Or did you find it overwhelming and difficult to understand? Uh, I thought the tutorial campaign was perfect, basically. Uh, it's very in-depth, it tells you absolutely everything you need to know, and it takes place over like... I feel like the total time of the tutorials is about four to six hours of gameplay almost. Maybe, maybe not that long, maybe like three. Um, but like, you'd basically do a full campaign where, you know, within China you set up like four to five different towns um, of increasing complexity and you start off so so basic like in the first town it's like make a road make some houses around the road you know put put a gu a watchtower to stop fires breaking out and you know put some water down that's like that's like it and then you know it gradually gets more and more as you go on i had no trouble um getting on board with this game because the tutorial was excellent i think it does a really good job guiding you in what to do as well to the point where it's like this is how big a housing plot should be the way the tutorial is presented is it's basically like um a document that you can open up in a mission and it's even got pictures to show you where to put mm -hmm. things right like it's very very specific on how to play the game but it's not one of these tutorials that's like this is how you should do it you have to do it this way you can like you know put stuff however you want and ignore the tutorial as long as you you know succeed with the mission objectives it's just there as a guide and i liked i really liked that it was you know didn't force me to you know just do put the buildings in the exact spots like i feel other tutorials would yeah and critically it it's not like by the end of the tutorial you've seen everything that the game has to offer but i'll say that by the end of the tutorial you'll probably understand all of the principles that are guiding this game and you'll understand the kind of game it is uh you understand about the economic supply chains and you understand about the importance of improving the desirability of your housing. So I agree with you, James. I thought this tutorial was superb and by the end of it, I felt like I had a really good grip 
of everything, it reminded me of all the different bits and pieces I needed to do. So I'm glad that it was such an easy experience for you to get your head around. Yeah, it, it didn't turn me into like a master of this game. Like I still, there were definitely missions where I made some little slip ups and that caused my whole thing to collapse on itself. But um, like I felt like I had, you know, the ability to play the game and to fix any mistakes I did make. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really interesting idea. Um, the previous strategy games we've done are Heroes of Might and Magic 3 and Panzer General, and I just want to compare it to HOM 3 for a second. The thing about that game is that if you made the wrong decision at the wrong point, that is sending your army into an army that was bigger than yours and getting killed, the game could effectively be over. There really wasn't any recovering from that if you misjudged the relative army sizes. I don't think there are many mistakes you can make in this game that as long as you're able to identify your mistake, you aren't able to recover from. Yeah, like the the only time I game over game over in this game was like, I'd played a bunch of it in one go in one day and I was feeling... I was feeling a bit full of myself and so one mission came up and I thought it'd be a great idea just to build the entire town before taking it off pause right at the start. <laughs> um, that was a terrible idea. I, like I used all of my money and I had like 100 gold out of my starting like 8,000 and then when I started but you know debt quickly spiraled up and you know I just couldn't get enough workers. It was terrible. Don't do that. Don't do that. You need to start small and then like expand once things are stable. <laughs> yeah, you you can't do that because um once again the game runs on a clock, right? So it takes a while for citizens to move into your houses. It takes citizens a while to, you know, farm collect crops from their farm and you can actually see them on the farm slowly gathering their crops uh people have to walk between your buildings when people are collecting resources you physically watch as the shopkeeper walks along and in all that time if you if you just drop everything at once it doesn't it doesn't work like that it doesn't you, quite work you need, no you need time to pass for things to progress in your town and it's not glacially slow by any stretch but <laughs> that that is such a bad idea i imagine that um you'd also it just removes any ability for you to be flexible you can't because a lot of the time what you're doing is you're reacting to your mistakes it's like shit i fucked up how do i fix this ah i forgot to build a watchtower in this area and there's been a collapse I need to get a watchtower there. Sometimes there would be a fire and I would have to build someone to put out the fire. Otherwise, the whole thing would get out of control. And if you're sitting at 100 credits, that isn't an easy thing to do. Yeah, I'd say the thing I felt the least prepared for was probably making money using the economy, trading, I guess. Like, I'd, I'm not really sure... I even now grasp quite what the quantities in the trading stations mean. I feel like this one time I made a trading station and I said, buy one bronzeware, and then that dumpstered all my money because <laughs> it just kept buying it over and over. And I was like, I put it to the minimum amount. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got to say I didn't really... Certainly as I played, there were a lot of things I struggled to understand, but I was usually able to get my head around them. Um... I think that maybe what's happening there is that you've built shops or you've 
uh, sorry, so bronzeware. Maybe it's all being distributed and then it, it's getting resupplied every single time. Like it instantly? Gets yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's not like buy, it's not like the number you says buy, is like buy one every few months. It's like always have one here. So if somebody like if a trader comes, sells you bronze and then a warehouse person takes it away, the next trader will instantly do another one. And bronze is expensive. Yeah, you just need to micromanage that more, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got there eventually, I think. Um, but I reckon, like, managing my economy, like, cash-wise, is probably the bit that gave me the most trouble. But I didn't have a lot of trouble, I'd say. Yeah, so I found that trade was... Because the thing is, as you're playing this game, a lot of what you're doing is you're spending money to improve the lives of your citizens, but you don't have an infinite money bucket. And in the early game, there's actually no way to make money. You kind of need to recuperate it all later. And the two ways you make money are taxes and trade. And at least for me, James, I felt like trade was far and away the best way to earn money. And there were a lot of ways to uh, abuse trade to your advantage. Um, The biggest one for me was that a lot of the time people would be uh, exporting a resource, but they but they wanted the luxury good from that resource imported back to them. Um, And sometimes I wouldn't have access to that resource, but I could uh import the goods i could turn my um you know whatever it was bronze and bronze plus clay into the little bronze figurines and then export those bronze figurines at a profit yeah i even did something like one of my nearby towns produced like wheat um and then another one wanted wheat so early on i would just set one trade station to buy wheat and then the other one to sell it at 10 extra gold or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I would immediately buy it and then sell it for profit. Um, I did stuff like that a little bit. Um, I, I actually used high taxes a lot. Mm. I'd say the majority of my gameplay, my taxes were set on like high. Although like if you're if you're in debt, setting them on high taxes is a bit of a mistake because then the like everyone will start leaving your city in droves because they're not getting paid and they have to pay high taxes and that 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 does it just doesn't stand james we've been we've been going for a bit and i know that a lot of that was me just explaining it but let's um let's have a music break and then we will return to some more high level concepts so um did you want to start with your music selection yeah so the way i would describe um emperor rise of the middle kingdom is an extremely comfy experience this is like one of the most relaxing games i've ever played i reckon um so i wanted to choose um, a bit of music that went along with that so actually when i was like writing my notes and i got to the music section the first thing that popped into my head was i wish there was more music um because everything that is here i really like but i feel like there's not that many songs and then I looked up the song list, and there actually is quite a few songs. It's just that, because you usually, like, a full level can take an hour or more sometimes. Um, you end up hearing every two-minute song, like, a dozen times. Um, but it didn't not bother me that much, because I actually really like all the music in this song, in this game. Uh, the music is fantastic. Like, uh, yeah. it's, um, it's a lot of uh, varied percussion, and it seems to all be... Uh, different Chinese instruments, whether it's like flute or 
Chinese stringed instruments. I, I couldn't identify them if you asked me, but it's a very Chinese kind of sound and it changes it up from track to track. It's not like you're hearing 10 variations on the same piece of music. Um, the thing I'd want to highlight is that one of the things that I think is interesting is how the music kind of blends with the city noises because this is a game where you can always hear the hustle and the bustle of the city. And I think that the music still does an excellent job kind of flowing in and around that hustle and bustle. Neither one is drowning out the other. So the music is a great fit for this game. I will say that if I were to continue playing this game, I would probably start listening to a podcast at the same time, just because it's you could, like it's a very long game like we we probably played between you know 15 and 25 hours but it could easily be a 60 to 70 hour game and there is just a point where you don't want to listen to the same music on repeat but um <laughs> but i i think it i think it's an excellent soundtrack um and really well executed yeah i mean it's a great game for listening to podcasts with right because it's like all the games take so long it's like it's kind of like civ in mm. that respect is how I feel about it. You just sit there all day playing this game, listening to stuff, and you have a great time. Um, so, like I said, I find this game really relaxing to play, and the music really added to that. So I wanted to pick um, the piece of music that always pops into my mind when I think I just, you know, slouched in my chair playing this for like six hours straight. Um, and that was DG Feeling. Uh, I thought it was my favorite piece of music in the game, so here it is. That was DG Feeling. So, Patrick, you wanted to talk about some more high-level concepts, did you say? Yeah, so the first thing I want to talk about is this um, concept of planning. 
So the way the game works is that you need to set up all of these economic supply chains. And I think that uh, this, this is less a criticism and more an observation. I think that as you play the game, you get better and better at planning what you were going to do in the game um, ahead of time. Um, you start like figuring out the area of your housing plot. You start plotting out where you're going to put your farms and storage areas. And this is way, way before you actually even lay the road to do it. So James, the thing I wanted to ask you is that, do you think it is a problem with this game that it is? it ends up being a game where you can plan out what you're doing mostly ahead of time um, to the point where when you start a new town after 15 hours of playing, you kind of know what to do for the first few hours. Or do you think it's fine for the game to kind of settle into these repetitive early to mid game patterns and be rewarded for knowing how those patterns operate? Yeah, I was wondering about this as well, because when you're, you know, from city to city across each mission, you kind of figure out what the more, like, what optimal layouts kind of look like, because this game does a lot to encourage, I don't know about realistic, but it encourages, like, layouts that kind of make sense from a, you know, city planning point of view from you know, to someone who's never obviously never planned a city before. Because um, there's stuff like uh, appeal, which is like your houses don't like being near um, the mill or like or industrial sections. Yeah, they they the houses grow slower if they're near these buildings that are kind of noisy and nasty, which kind of like encourages you to like do zoning. Like you'll put in an industrial section. Uh, very distinctly separate to your market area, distinct from your housing area, also distinct from your like upper class housing area, distinct from a different kind of industrial area. So your your like your layouts very naturally kind of tend to be in a similar shape. Your housing area in particular, mm. like uh, later on in my playthrough basically every single one of my housing areas looked exactly the same yep because i had made a very optimal you know layout and i it still it felt good because you know when i first made housing loops i wasn't very good at it and now i think i can make them like brilliantly and they just work without any problems yeah because i'll just say the reason for that is that your supply buildings so your well and your um, inspection towers and all these different buildings they can only accommodate an area that is so large but you want to put it at the upper end of that so that you can get the most value out of those buildings so there is mm. a specific size and pattern that you want your housing layouts to be and once you figure that out you're going to stick with it yeah, and like if you put like nice gardens and stuff around your watchtowers, they'll upgrade and now you have two fire inspectors walking around, so that's always nice. And you kind of want to spread out your, you know, your inspect tower and your police station and your tax office because they have negative appeal, but they have to be in your housing area so yeah you kind of figure out what's good and eventually you kind of fall into these patterns where you do the same thing over and over and over um and i was wondering about this because 
when I was playing the game, I it was in the back of my head, I wonder if this is going to get really boring and repetitive eventually, but I never got quite up to that point, because I suspect that, to me, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom is kind of like Civ, in that I want to play... I feel like I want to play a couple of games of this, like, every few months, even maybe once a year. Like, it's not the kind of game I'd play heaps of in one go, um, but I'd play it like once a year and love that, you know, once a year where I played it. Um, and because of that, it's probably less of a problem because, you know, in a year I'll probably forget some stuff. See, for me, like, when I first started playing this game, it was very much a struggle to understand what spare space I needed to leave. So I would build mm. too many houses in my loop, and then when it came time to build, you know, whatever it is, the herbalist, there'd be no room for my herbalist. Or I'd build my walls, and my walls would be blocking off the space I needed to build buildings and that kind of thing. But the more I played, the more I understood what it was I needed to put in ahead of time. So I would naturally leave some spaces in my residential area to fill in these buildings when I got to that point of the, you know, the opulence tree that I was eventually trying to reach. And I do think that something is lost when you know exactly how you're going to build your residential areas ahead of time. Uh, the scramble that I went into was, you know, it didn't feel good. Like I didn't want to be deleting things and reforming things. But the problem is it was kind of like a puzzle that I had to solve. And once you've solved the puzzle, there's not much more to it, right? Like, yeah, I, I think the game pressures you on different axes as the game goes on absolutely but i think that this was a really interesting axis that ended up not being as complicated as i wanted it to be and the puzzle kind of took care of itself um and you know it got to the stage where even with the elite housing i kind of had a plan to uh to create good elite housing development plots yeah i think because the missions often challenge you differently economically like you know, to get good housing, you need hemp and you need clay. And then sometimes, you know, it'll be like, oh, this plot of land has no access to clay. So you'll need to, like, do a bit of trading, you know, give some gifts to a few cities and then set up a trade route with clay um, or, you know, this other stuff. And depending on what resources you have available, um, it's, you know, that that the economic puzzle is a bit different mm -hmm. from mission to mission. Um there was little things that always got, like, sometimes there would be a, a good plot of land and I would say, look, that looks perfect, you know, for some housing, but there's some rocks, you know, there and rocks kind of can't be removed or built on at all. So I kind of need to change my layout, maybe. But there wasn't, like, I, re I do wish that there was something that changed, like, specifically your housing layouts because they do become very samey eventually but up until that point i did actually really enjoy figuring that puzzle out yeah yeah it's a fun puzzle to solve it's just once you've solved it it's time to move on to a different part of the game or at least yeah. move your brain and i think this is like maybe a problem with the game overall is that and to be fair we've only played like the first three of seven campaigns so maybe it gets nuts as you continue uh I think that the game doesn't vary its terrain up enough. It, it chokes you on resources. Um, 
I'm on a mission where there's a lot of desert land and you have to um, create agricultural pumps to help create, you know, more fertilized land. But when I think of a game that really, a builder game that really challenges you and challenges you in terms of its terrain, I think of Roller Coaster Tycoon. Have Have you played that game at all, James? I haven't actually. Yeah. So Roller Coaster Tycoon, the first one. This is a game I played when I was younger as well. Um, it has a mission where the entire park is a big ring around a lake, and like eighty percent of the map is water. Or it has a lot of variable levels of terrain, making it difficult to balance your your map area and i think that some more radical terrain where you couldn't always so neatly design your city exactly how you wanted would have been nice like really put us through the rigor and make it challenging for us to actually fit everything where we want it you never feel cramped you never feel like there's not enough room as long as you plan it out efficiently and say this is my industrial area i'm going to do mining here my my regular housing is here. My elite housing is here. You get that sorted at the start. You can sort that out from the moment you first see the map. Um, if you if you can stick to that, you'll be fine. Even something like there is no water underground, so we can't build wells. So you have to build all your houses adjacent to rivers, so they have access to mm. water that way. That would change things dramatically. That's that's a fantastic example. I really like that. I think this extends a bit beyond the housing and goes back to um, just the mission structure in general. I don't think the missions are different enough, like from mission to mission. Oh, not enough, but not as not as different as I'd want them to be. I'd say they're like different enough that if you didn't play this game like every single day, you wouldn't mind so much. But um Playing lots of this game in one go becomes difficult because of how repetitive each mission is. I will say it, it does something good in that not you don't need to start from scratch every single time. And in fact, one of my favorite things about the missions in this game is that sometimes you get to come back to your town. Did, did you like those moments as well? Yeah, it was good. It was great. My favorite ones were like really early when it first happened and it took me back to a town i wasn't very proud of and i was like are you <laughs> fucking kidding me i have to come back to this dump and fix my problems how dare you do this to me it actually didn't do that enough like i wanted it to do that more mm. um and have the towns upgrade quite just drastically between each one um but i did like like it had that sense of continuity yes and you got to skip that early game, right? You got to skip the early yeah. game boring loop and get into the new exciting content almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever got bored of making a town from scratch, to be honest, because mm. if, mm. if I wasn't feeling like super into it, I'd just not play it for a couple of days and then I'd get that itch again. Like, to me, more than the sense of planning, there's this like... And this game does a really good job of scratching that OCD itch. Like, I found whenever I made my towns and I used, you know, I, I used every single square of land perfectly with no gaps and there was farms, you know, filling up everything with little gardens and everything just kind of like fit together like a puzzle. Like, I found, I find that stuff really, really satisfying. Like, I can play that kind of game for hours because it just like scratches that bit of OCD in the back of my head. It's very, I find it very relaxing and like cathartic to play this kind of game. I think a big part of what makes it so satisfying is that 
I've never really played a strategy game that I feel like I've got so much both both of information and control. Like this is a game where you can micromanage every single one of your buildings in a whole bunch of different ways. And in addition to that, I feel like the game does a fantastic job of providing you lots of different information that's easily accessible and is layered in different ways um, that that I found extremely useful. So, so James, let's let's talk about these two ideas separately. The, the first thing I want to talk about is the user interface and the information it gives you and the way it delivers it to you. Did you feel like you had a um a good grasp over the problems with your economy and how to fix things? Or was it confusing and messy, kind of like it was for Civ 4? This game gives you a lot of tools to identify problems with. Like, more than most games, I'd say. Like, I think it does a really good job. Like, there's a whole bunch of little filters that you can press. Like, you can press show hazards, and then all of the buildings will turn into blank squares. Um, you know, with a different indicator showing how likely they are to be set on fire. And from that, you can judge, you know, oh, I need another fire station over here and over here. You can press, like, see feng shui, and it'll show you where to build things. You can press, like, um, see unrest. You can press see distribution, and all the houses will tell you what they need and what they want. If you go looking through the filters, you can identify, like, every single problem that's going to possibly happen. What I will say is that I don't think the game goes out of its way to tell you, you know, if there's a problem that's about to happen. Like, if I'm running out of hemp, which was probably the resource I ended up running out of the most and caused me the most problems, because that always devolves you back to, like, square one if yeah, you run out of hemp. That hemp happened to me a bit as well, but continue. Yeah, yeah. like... Yeah, and the game never tells you, hey, you're running out of hemp, you should probably ramp up production, it just happens, and then it's like, oh shit, why are all my people leaving, what happened? It is true, I think a modern strategy game would have more feedback in that area, it would say, there'd be a thing that says, here's what you're currently sitting at for all your houses, and this is what you're running low on, it, de it definitely doesn't come with a prompt or anything, uh, saying it's gonna, gonna go, you do have to keep an eye on that yourself. Yeah, but I would say that compared to modern, like, even compared to the modern Civ games and, like, I don't know, the city builders I've played briefly, I felt like there was more information available and well, very well presented here, um, like, even compared to modern games. It's just that you have to, like, train yourself to be actively checking things constantly to make sure that bad things don't happen. Yeah. And that's fine, I think. Um, I was actually really impressed with how much info you have at your fingertips here. It does a very good job at visually explaining things to you. Yeah, there, there's an elegance to it, right? It it doesn't mm. overwhelm you, but uh, and I I certainly think that you're right in the sense that it's there's not a lot of like notifications telling you what the problem is. You have to figure that out yourself. But to me, that's kind of almost more enjoyable. Like, yeah. if this game is a puzzle, unraveling the puzzle is is a big part of the enjoyment of it. And yes. identifying the shortfalls are a big part of it. The game doesn't tell you 
your employment is, you know, your employment rate is, you know, way too high or way too low mm. and you need to adjust wages to reflect that. You need to notice your employment rate and adjust the wages and make that decision yourself. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to control. Um, did you feel like the game gave you all of the knobs to turn and tweak to get the outcomes you wanted? Or did you feel like uh, you didn't have the fine sense of control to fix the problems that emerged? Yeah, so I felt for the most part I did, although there were some notable exceptions. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, I hate the way patrol or walkers work in this game. Um, so basically there's two types of you know people running around on the ground the first is people who have a direct goal um, so for example like a trader will enter your town and immediately walk to the trading station and then leave like they have a direct path to something that they know what they want and then they're gonna leave um, the second type is a walker and a walker is a kind of unit that patrols. So, for example, you have your fire inspectors, right? So you put your fire station down, and that spawns an inspector. And then he goes walking, and he walks, you know, up... He walks down the straight path, and then he comes to a fork, and then he selects one path randomly um, until he reaches his max distance, and then he'll walk back to his fire station. And then a few seconds later, he'll come out again. And then, you know, he'll walk around randomly again. Um, so you need these walkers to walk in specific directions to fulfill your goals. Like you need your fire station person to walk next to each of the buildings to inspect them. And the way you kind of do this is you can put roadblocks down to kind of funnel them down the paths you want them to go. Or you can design your roads to have very few turns. Um, I found this more annoying than anything, to be honest. I just would have preferred if the walkers, like, uh, deterministically, like, if they go down a path, they'll first take the left one, then they'll take the right one, you know, something like that. Or even let you set a patrol route, right? Like, it's like, yeah, this, this is the path you're going to walk along. Because I know this didn't exist in previous like iterations of these impressions games this is like a new feature right being able to put these stop signs down yeah but can you it, imagine it, it without just... the roadblocks oh my god like i hated it with them yeah. i found them really tedious like sometimes i would put a roadblock down behind a building and then forget about it and then like a building would burn down because i forgot there was a roadblock behind my mill or something that happened a lot yeah i i lost my mill like the, the thing is if a building gets destroyed and that building had a full yard of resources those resources are gone yeah so it, it can be devastating when that happens and when you're when you're only getting your crops once a year it can sometimes be like well i guess i got to play for another year of in-game time yeah. to achieve the objective that happened to me it happened to me twice yeah the sec yeah the second thing that i found a bit annoying was the way your food shops worked so um, the way food works in this game is you take your mill produces food and then your shop workers get the food from the mill and distribute it to town to make better food. You need to have more ingredients. Now, there's no like recipes or anything in this game. You can literally if your mill has two ingredients, it'll make the tier two food. If it has any three kinds of different food, it'll make the tier three food and so on. So 
you want to try and like you know at the start of your city you'll have like access to like uh, wheat and your you know your villagers will just eat wheat for years on end and then you'll have wheat and rice so they'll have some wheat rice food and then you'll add meat and they'll have a three ingredient food which is even better and it'll make the houses better um now in the shop you can specify the minimum quality of the food so if you have access to three ingredients you can tell the shop only make three ingredient food never make worse than this um, just so if there's a weird timing issue you won't get screwed over something that i found happened a lot to me near the end of missions was that say i had like tier three food for like i don't know like 40 minutes to an hour of game time um, and then i get a fourth ingredient finally and i can finally make the tier four food so I get the tier 4 food and I set my minimum quantity um, to 4 ingredients. Now, over that 40 minutes, um, the shop actually gathered way more food than it could distribute. So mm -hmm. it's got like 2,000 food stored up. So I have to wait for that 2,000 food to be used up. Or, which I, what I figured out recently, is that you just delete the building yep. and just lo lose all the food. And then you remake the building um, and then you can do it again, which felt a bit weird, and I didn't like that. Um, it felt bad. Um, so I didn't like the way shops worked. I just wanted, you know, that, you know, just grab the extra ingredient and mix it with what you already have or something. Yeah. It felt a bit fiddly. That is absolutely... I know I had to do the same thing on multiple occasions, delete my shops and put new shops down. Um, I, I couldn't figure out how to re-trigger the, sh the shopkeeper to go out for food when they already had such a massive supply of food. I mean, all you can really do is kind of like keep an eye on it over time and, and try not to let your shopkeeper get too much food. And, you know, there are mechanisms in this game to give away excess resources. You know, you can give away it to, your, to the ancestors and the heroes or you can give them away as gifts to other cities. And I found mm -hmm. that one of the best ways to avoid that problem was just to constantly give away my excess resources and it wouldn't build yeah. up too much. But those criticisms you raised are both completely valid. They're just they're just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Once you get the tier four food, as you said, they should just be able to immediately start distributing that. And yeah, I think patrol routes should exist instead of roadblocks. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to say, all right, guy, I want you to walk this path and just click and drag over your roads where you want them to walk. I, I can't think of any reason why why that shouldn't be included as part of this game. Yeah, it just makes your cities end up looking a lot messier because there's roadblocks everywhere and there's guard towers and like really weird spots because, you know, you can't make one tower consistently you know fix all these five buildings so you have to make like three towers and awkward spots to do it and it once again pushes you towards having that same consistent layout because you know that you know from experience after trying it a few times okay this this will achieve good enough coverage of this area so why would i deviate from this from this layout yeah. Yeah. um let me i mean we're pretty negative there, I, I, but I think that you started by saying you were generally happy. So I wanted to give an example of a mechanism or tool in this game that gave you good control, and that's the industrial menu that lets you choose how you want to distribute your employment. Did, did you use that much, James? 
Um, do you mean like turning on or off buildings? No. So if you um if you on the on the menu on the right hand side, you know how you can click religion to get a view of the yep. heroes. So you can click on the title of every single menu on the right hand side. Oh, I didn't know that. I only, yeah. I, I think I literally only clicked religion. So so most of them are just um they'll just give you graphs and they'll give you like different I guess information like different ways to view it. But on the industry one it lets you choose how you want to prioritize the employees you have in the different areas because one of the number one problems in this game is that you'll have uh you won't have enough employees for every single building so using this menu you can say all right well my farms aren't doing anything at the moment so i'm going to take my guys out of the farms and i'm going to put them into this area because in three months i need to get this product to or I'll, this person will get mad at me. Farms are funny because farms, you know, crops are only active um, at certain times of the year. So you kind of have to like pick, you like turn farms off during parts of the year, then turn them back on to like use your workers effectively. I always was hoping that there was a way to like, you Automated. know, do that automatically. Yeah. yeah. Does does that menu let you do that? Uh, no, the, the, you can't do it automatically. It just gives you like a one screen menu where you get to choose how you broadly distribute your employees. So I mean, that um, that's good too. Yeah, yeah. I, I was negative before because I had some nitpicks to do, but broadly speaking, I think you have a lot of control in this game, and it feels pretty good. I would highlight warehouses as being something that I mm. quite liked because you can when you make a warehouse, you can say. Um, either accept product, decline product, or get product, which is, you know, go out of your way to source this. Um, and you can use them in very clever ways in order to streamline um, your supply chain because you can have, like, um, a warehouse, you know, between two residential districts to make sure that you're evenly spacing your food. Um, you can... You know, have, you know, if you have some kind of industrial zone on the opposite side of your city that's really far away from everything else, you can kind of like chain them together in order to get better coverage. Um, I thought that warehouses, the way they're implemented, were really good and they gave you a lot of control over how your resources move about the city without you having to like, you know, it's like an automated thing, right? Like I don't have to, you know, click units and tell them to get these things. I just make the warehouses, put the right settings in and everything just works, right? I like that. Completely agree. And, it, you know, it works in tandem with the trade you're doing. So you can, um, when when a particular product arrives that you've imported, you can set your warehouse to get it if you just want to hold on to it or you can let your um or you can let your workshops go ahead and take that product and refine it and you can set the warehouse to accept the refined goods which then the you know the potters will come and get and coordinating and setting up your warehouses to be accepting and rejecting and getting the different resources gives you i think an enormous amount of control over how your city's functioning so i agree with you james i i think this game does a great job of giving you the information giving you the control and i think that compared to hom civ and panzer general it does it better than all three of those games um easily uh because a big problem with a lot of those games is how intimidating intimidatingly complex the the learning cliff is with this i felt so so safe and comfy 
in in my yeah. learning experience and i felt so safe and comfy in understanding what it was i needed to do to solve my problems and i had a lot of problems don't get me wrong <laughs> Thing, things yeah. go things go wrong a lot you misunderstand you know your ratio of you know gathering resources to refining resources your employment rate gets out of whack and suddenly you don't have enough employees for all your buildings but there's always something you can do to to get things back in shape and when things are going well it's a very relaxing experience i found like it's funny to me this game exists as two separate games in my mind there's one game where i'm just like leaning back in my chair not even touching my mouse and just watching my city build up resources because it just once you set everything up it just goes and you don't have to do anything and that's just so relaxing to just to watch your city and listen to it and then there's the other side of the coin where, you know, that card falls out from the bottom of the deck and you spend the next, like, 20 minutes trying to put out fires and fix supply <laughs> chains and get, like, your houses back. So, you know, it kind of flip-flops between this, like, tranquil and chaotic mess of a game. So, James, um, I'd like to have another music break and then I want to talk a bit about the... We've touched on it with trade, but I want to talk about the military and some of, I, I guess, the macro strategy layer of this game. Um, but firstly, my music break. Um, the song I chose was Happy Kudi. Um, Like I said, I really love the music in this game and uh, it was actually quite hard to pick one. This is one of those soundtracks where... I think you can argue that all of the tracks are excellent, so I just picked one that I like the sound of, and here it is. happy cutie i'm sure we're completely mispronouncing that i feel like when you read chinese the the q's are ch's or something but i i don't know we don't know sorry if that was very terrible <laughs> um but patrick you wanted to talk about the military yeah well i i wanted to touch on so everything we've been talking about is the well mostly trade is something else but outside of the trade we've been very much talking about the micromanagement of your city and i would say that 
primarily this game is a micromanagement game, whereas the other games we've played are very much about your macro management. They're about these big scale things. This is about perfectly tuning a sitting in, getting all those dials, those dials and knobs just right. But the game technically does have a macro strategy layer where you're interacting with other cities, where you're defending yourself from military invasions, where you're bribing people where you're putting pressure on them and sending your own military to attack them so james how did you feel about this macro strategy layer um do you think it did a good job or did you think it was too simplistic i barely interacted with it to be honest like my interactions with the you know the city screen where you interact with the other cities was okay i need to trade with this city all right send them two thousand gold and then immediately you know, request to trade, and then, you know, a month later they'll get the gold, be like, thank you so much, and then, like, a split second later we'll be like, yes, we would love to trade with you. That was it. That's all I ever did in that uh, in that screen. Yeah, it is, it is lacking, and I think that one of the things that annoys me is that I think there was potential for this layer to be much deeper, and I don't mean I'm expecting something like Heroes of Mind and Magic 3, but... The missed opportunity of this game more than anything else is the fact that you only ever control one town. And I think that there was a really good opportunity to have it there be multiple towns that you're managing and you can switch between them. The the way the story structure is set up, the start of the game is like the start of China, basically, right? You for, You make the first town, like every town in the town map is literally a town that you made in a prior mission, right? Like, in the beginning, there is one town that you made, like, is it the Nomad Camps or something like that? And then, you know, next mission, there'll be a second town. And then by mission three, you'll be able to trade for the first time. And then, wow, your trade partners are those towns you made. Mm. But you don't get to meaningfully interact with those towns. And it kind of disappointed me because, you know, those towns have layouts because i made them but they're just like a name in a box that you click on you know you never get to see you know the town that you made again unless the mission comes back to it um so i also kind of felt that that was a missed opportunity um you know, diplomacy is kind of like give gifts I don't... <laughs> just yeah just keep that, giving that's gifts. It. what what do they want they want ceramics all right here's some ceramics oh you want cash here's cash um if someone's hostile to you you give them gifts. If someone's friendly to you, you give them gifts. And that's the sum total of diplomacy. I have excess resources. What do I do with them? Gifts, 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 gifts. Yeah, like the only meaningful um, thing that comes from them is maybe military, but that was never a thing in my games. Like I never really had any problems with invasions. Like I made a couple guards and they were good enough. Um, like the main impact that you know, the other towns had on my games with the trade economy, which mm. is actually very impactful. Um, but, like, I felt like all the other stuff was, like, a bit of an afterthought as just a way to integrate this trade economy. And I'm not sure I really want any more from that screen, to be honest. Like, the, when I'm playing this game, I care about building a cool city that looks nice and runs nice um, and makes a lot of money. I don't really want to be micromanaging diplomacy and relations and that kind of thing. Like, I found the most annoying mechanic in this game to be um, giving tribute to the, like, your ancestor heroes, which you had to do every month. Like, 
I liked the fact that I could just set up my city and then watch it run once I set it up. Having to micromanage the heroes and the other towns was like annoying to me. Did did you ever have a flood scent? Because I had a flood scent. Too. Yeah. It was very, it was very <laughs> yeah. upsetting. I actually thought that was like a really good example of... Because I think that a lot of the time when you're playing this game, you're basically trying to fix your mistakes it's like i have stuffed up somewhere in my planning phase or in my execution how do i fix it that was a good example of the game like imposing this outside challenge on you and you having to react to it and i think that it was fantastic like i was really pissed off but i had to recover from something i wasn't expecting so i i, th I really liked the flood event that happened yeah, I was lucky. It only took out like two of my, you know, trading docks um, when it happened to me. I was surprised that it actually went away. I thought it was just that was going to be the mission was going to be flooded. For that the rest that of would it. be interesting as well. Like, yeah, wouldn't it? yeah. If if you actually if there was a change in terrain halfway through, I I guess the only problem is there's nothing stopping you from just reloading your game and being aware of it. But but that's no fun. I, I agree. Like having to struggle with that dynamic change, I think would be interesting, and it's something that this game doesn't really do. Um, and I think part of that is the macro layer is just not is not really alive. And in those other games, you know, if you play, um. Uh, Civ, you need to be reacting to where your opponent is moving their armies. If you play Heroes of Mind and Magic 3, you need to be responding to your opponent taking control of resources. That doesn't exist in this game. You're not reacting to these external forces that are shaping the your broader strategy. You're just um, ensuring that everything is running smoothly and i guess responding to spot demands with people asking for resources and stuff yeah but that's kind of what i want from this game like i don't want all that extra stuff here to be honest like i think i would like the game less yeah if it had a bigger focus on that stuff i, I think that's fair like i and i'm not saying once again i'm not saying the game should be heroes of mind magic 3 i i just wish there was um i think it would it would have been really cool to be controlling two or three towns at once. And I thought the game was going to go there and it, it, it didn't quite go there. But but you're right. Th that's not what the game is trying to accomplish. Um, it's trying to be a micromanagement kind of game. Man, trying to manage all the trade economies like of three cities and then like <laughs> one of them, it's like, no, I need... I need this town to buy it at an increased price, and you be and like your other cell, like when it when you go back to that other town, you're kind of like annoyed at your, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like playing chess against yourself. Well, the the game that actually came to mind when I was thinking about this was actually Space Chem. Uh, you, you've played Space Chem, right? I actually haven't. No, now, I know of it. Space Chem is interesting because it starts off as like a one screen puzzler where you're just trying to um you know create bonds and everything to create the element you're after and then what happens is it zooms out and you realize that that one screen puzzle is just a um a component in a larger puzzle where you have all these different factories creating the element mm. you're after and then you have to funnel the factories together so you have these two elements in this factory it's 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 really cool it's really cool how it escalates the challenge in that way by zooming out um and yeah so that, that's what i wanted didn't get it that's that's okay though okay so i want to talk about a couple of mechanics um that i think are included in the game for thematic purposes but 
I don't really like, to be honest, and that's, you know, the ancestor heroes giving tribute to them every month and the feng shui mechanic, which is basically like, when you go to place your building, your building will either glow yellow or green. If it's, you know, yellow, it's got bad feng shui. If it's green, it's got good feng shui. Um, you know, and the, w the way it calculates that's actually kind of nuts. It's like two pages long of an explanation. <laughs> um, but you don't, you don't need to know any of that. You just check if it's yellow or green. But something that happened to me was that I, like one mission, I just did not pay attention to my feng shui at all. And like literally every building I clicked on a yellow spot. And suddenly my feng shui dropped to like, you have um, insulted the ancestors or something like that. And like literally every single person in my town left instantly. <laughs> like my, it, it was like 400 people just left. Like the like my computer like hitched for a second and then the whole screen was just like homeless people. It was so funny. It's like so basically what I had to do was I scrolled to like this part of the map that had nothing on it because I wasn't using the whole map for this town, cleared all the trees and I just put statues, like I put like 200 statues like in this corner of the map until it said Feng Shui good and the people came back. It looked so stupid. Uh, I kind of, like in theory, this mechanic is the one that should make your like town layout different from game to game. Um, but obviously in practice, it doesn't really do anything. Um, except be annoying to be honest because I mostly ignored it and then you know in the times I did need to pay attention I just made these stupid little clusters of statues on the very edge of my map and then forgot about it I mean statues cost money though so you are incurring a cost there for not striving to have good feng shui right yeah but the cost is so negligible it's like two gold or something for a statue and I have like five thousand i mean okay so so let me say that i firstly feng shui is not something i'm a big believer in like i think it's a very conservative art form you know being unable to radically you know saying that this is good art and this is evil art is ridiculous in my mind like it, it just spits in the face of postmodernism. but that aside i did think it was an interesting wrinkle in how you had to lay out your cities and you had to pay attention like you had to put some buildings near rocks some buildings should be near trees some shouldn't be near trees uh, but I was able to achieve like extremely high feng shui without any issues. If anything, I think this was an opportunity to once again make it more difficult for you to just put your cities out. But you can fairly effortlessly achieve 95% feng shui perfection and then just have a couple of buildings that aren't and then you're all good. It, it's possible on higher difficulties that you get punished a lot more, but I was just playing on normal and it really didn't constrict me in any noticeable way. I just ignored it for most of the game, to be honest, because like when I was putting my cities together, I was like, man, it'll be really satisfying if I put all these farms like next to each other, touching, you know, in a perfect row. And then this road goes around. Oh, it's got bad feng shui, so I shouldn't do that. It's like, no, I'm making my town look nice. Fuck you, game. See, that's interesting because, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I loved it. I think the implementation is a little poor. 
Um, but I like the idea of actually making your town building more interesting. And like I said, it was something I was complaining about that's always the same. So this is on the right track. I, I just would have preferred it be harder, like way harder. Like maybe you need to put this building back to back with this build with this, you know, category of building in order for them to both have good feng shui. Um, you know, get get crazy with it. So you actually makes the puzzle more complex. It just needs to be more impactful because it like Yeah. It only mattered like once in my like thirty hours of playing or something like that. That is quite I funny just, what happened though. I liked that yeah, story. It's like the whole <laughs> thing just just went to shit. But yeah, so did you did you also find Ancestor, you know, worshipping to be really frustrating and annoying? Like that shit was so tedious. I hated it. Like that's like, like literally my least favorite part of the game is having to remember to do that shit i always forget because i just want to go back to putting my town together well like i said it effectively functions as a way for you to dump excess resources you know yeah. if you've got too much terracotta you give them gifts of terracotta and you just you keep doing that if you've got too much silk you give them gifts of silk and that's all I did. If I had lots of extra of any resource, I could give it as a gift. And sometimes they'd come to my city and sometimes they wouldn't. And I didn't really care either way. Part, part of this is that I think that this kind of ties into the military side of the game. Uh, it's, not, it's not enjoyable to directly control units in this game. And with the military and with your heroes, you're given, you're able to control, like kind of very loosely control where these units go. And it feels very clumsy and very unenjoyable to control your units. Whereas controlling the knobs and levers on your production is so satisfying and so easy and so responsive. So I think that this whole side of the game is one that just doesn't function particularly well and you know, really suffers from the fact that we've that modern games give you such good control of units in third person and every game does the job well. Back in 2002, I mean, this game is pre-Warcraft 3, so you don't even have that that ease, ease of control uh, that Warcraft 3 has, which I'm sure a lot of people play, who, who haven't played it when it comes out would consider a joke in terms of its controllability. So this, this is worse than Warcraft 3. Yeah, it's very clunky. This is like the most clunky unit selection in a top-down game I've ever played. It's so yep. weird. Um, like you gotta like weirdly click on the small unit and then awkwardly click on the move button on the interface and then put the flag somewhere and then they'll go there maybe uh, it feels unresponsive but I didn't have to do it too much because basically the only re like the only time I had to do it a lot was this one mission where you have capture a palace animals. yeah and you got to yeah. capture animals with the with the hero. Um, and you've got to send them all around the map to get pandas and, you know, a, a, a leopard and a tiger, um, a, a wild boar, stuff like that. And you just have to micro this, you know, this hero a lot. It was kind of annoying. You know what I was thinking while, while I was playing this? I was like, why can't I right click on the hero and it comes up with a menu? I want a menu <laughs> to control this hero. It's like, yes, I would like you to prioritize these districts and I want you to move in this loop and I want this to be automated. I want to be yeah. able to set a range of behaviors in a menu 
and then I'm done. And then I can take my hands off the keyboard and you do your thing. Because that's yeah. how you control literally everything else in this game and it works brilliantly. Why do you have this shitty control for the military and heroes when everything else works so well through menus? Yeah, I agree. I, you know, this is a game about setting things up and then letting it go. I, mm. Anytime, you know, it's forcing me to touch the controls unnecessarily, I was annoyed. <laughs> It feels like a flaw in the game. Um, so, yeah. But there aren't too many of those things. There's like two, hmm. maybe, in the whole game, which is fine. Um, and I kind of agree that the ability to get rid of excess resources is really useful in some spots. So, um, so we've spoken a bit about, you know, all the little bits and bobs about Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom, but I kind of wanted just to go back even bigger picture and just you know ask you when you sit when you sit down to play emperor rise of the middle kingdom like what's your like what's your general experience with the game like like do you do you because you seem to dislike the early game and then like the later game of each mission um because for me like i just like whenever i just sit down to play this game i can just play for ages this game's like civ to me right like i can just sit here and play it for hours and be perfectly happy the whole time um you know fiddling with all the knobs and getting it to run so from like a big picture point of view i'm just kind of wondering um your experience with the with like a whole level that's that's a that's a great question so i think that um when you start a new level it's actually one of the high points like when you're first starting because you have to make a plan um, you have access to different resources depending on the mission. You might have copper, and that copper might be across a river. Um, you might have, uh, you might not have access to um, to a particular kind of farm, so you're limited in your access to different food sources. You can open your map and you can look at what people are looking to trade and what and how you can abuse that situation. So I like the very beginning of a mission because you need to come up with a plan where you're going to put everything and how you're going to set it out. And that is different from mission to mission because you need to look mm. at your objectives and you need to come up with a rough plan. Yeah, and because you're like because your resources are limited and because you because like we said before, you need to start small. Mm. You kind of need to the first like you have a big plan, but you need like you need a series of plans. Like you need a plan for your early stage, but you know, like what's my first food source going to be? What's my first trade route going to be? And you have a plan to make you know a few houses you know one source of food and then you know start setting up the basics like your mill and stuff and then you know you have your tier two plan right but you kind of like in your head you do most of this right at the start before you start laying down anything yes and you should come up with a plan before you lay down anything or because if you don't you're going to run out of room and you're not going to be putting things in the right place in the right areas. But mm. then the experience dips to me, right? Because I'm at the stage where I know how to do that initial setup pretty easily. And it doesn't matter what your single food source is. You just build the thing that gives you access to that single food source. I I think that... So to, to shortcut a bit here and, and jump ahead and give you the answer, James, it's that I enjoy the game when I don't understand it. 
you know, when when there's something gone wrong or I'm being pressured on very various axes that make it difficult for me to execute the plan. And there there is also an aspect of this. Like I do have like an aesthetic appreciation for it and enjoying my city grow. That's absolutely part of it. But in terms of like the way this game is mechanically interesting, it's when I need to figure something out. And that could be because I've fucked something up or because I don't understand something or I'm, you know, missing a resource or you know, someone's sending me angry demands and I'm worried I haven't got, I've only got two military units and I should have an extra one, but I haven't got my, you know, proper elite housing set up, which will enable me to get another military unit. Or when, when things aren't going well and I need to solve a problem, that's when I'm engaged with this game. When I know what to do and it's just a matter of, you know, ticking the boxes essentially, that's when I'm a bit, disinterested and it's why i sometimes feel reluctant to play this game because what i like because sometimes i'm just going to be like well i'm going to spend the first 20 minutes doing things almost by rote we we mentioned that like you you know you build your blocks of houses and that'll have the same layout basically every time Mm -hmm. something that i found you know the variations of the landscape did change was kind of like you know, you'll have your chunks, like you'll have your industrial chunk and you'll have your farming chunk and you'll have your you know house chunk. The way those chunks kind of like like position relative to each other definitely changes mission to mission. So I liked that setup a lot more than you did, it sounds like, because, you know, I liked the planning a lot too. You know, I liked clearing land and then, you know, figuring out where to put each chunk. And then the actual process of trying to like jigsaw everything together in a really tight, you know, pattern where we could minimize, you know, the distance people had to walk so you could keep, you know, speed up and efficiency. I found that really satisfying. Like there's a, you know, there's really like OCD satisfying kind of thing mm-hmm. where you can just like fill every single square with something useful and have, you know, every little bit of efficiency. I really like that. And that, from mission to mission, I enjoyed just as much, you know, every single time. Like, it, like, like you said, that like actually the housing chunk is exactly the same every time. So that specifically um, is kind of repetitive. Um, but for the most part, like I enjoyed this game just as much when things are going right as when things are going wrong. Like when things are going wrong, it's interesting. And there's, you know, it's like a puzzle and you're trying to figure out how to fix it. Um, But when things are going right, it feels satisfying, like you've done everything right. And I I just enjoy, you know, because I've spent so much time, you know, putting out fires and fixing trade economies and things like that, that when things just go smoothly, you know, I can just revel in it for like, you know, quite a while. Yeah, so so a couple of things there. Number one, I, I think this is one of the distinctions between you and I, James, you're mm. you're a, you get a lot of enjoyment out of um this idea of optimization. Um, yeah. When we played that, when we played Freelancer, that was a big thing for you. Like you really enjoyed the optimization of the trade there. Whereas I yes. think that's something that's less important for me. I wasn't trying to f- to create a perfect city. I was trying to create like a good city, a, f- a you know well functioning city. But by no yeah. means is my city like anywhere near perfect um the second thing is i don't want you to think i'm a masochist that only wants to have problems like i'm I'm not (laughs) i'm not saying that i didn't like when things were running smoothly i'm saying that the games where 
I had to overcome adversity gave meaning to the ones where things were running smoothly. Yes. And I, I agree with that. And that that's more what I'm getting at. Like if you could just have a city run perfectly without my input and without me making decisions, that's a yeah, that's less boring. meaningful experience. Yeah. So that that's more what I'm getting at. I also <laughs> liked when my city was running perfectly, but I liked sure. <laughs> but I liked it after I had solved its problems, not not just at doing it automatically. Yeah, I found that my favorite cities were the ones I initially hated because they were such a mess, and then yeah. eventually, like, I got them working and was like, "Oh, thank God." Me too. And actually, there was, there, there, there's like a story to this city where, like, I don't know the workers revolted because you set taxes to very high for a few months. When um <laughs> when when I came back to some of my earlier cities and I had to I had to build on them, I was like, "Oh my God, what am I doing? Like, what was I thinking with this layout? Because yeah. it would be very <laughs> suspicious for a." But that kind of made it interesting because it posed its own unique challenges. Like once again, I kind of like created the challenge I was craving by having a shitty city layout initially and having to achieve the objectives on top of it so yeah i think something that this game should you know how it splits the missions into like campaigns mm. something that would be really great is because like on how long to beat it says this game's like 140 hours or something i, I feel like it's I more like that i feel like it's more yeah, like yeah. 60 to 80 probably i yeah. feel like something that would be amazing is if like the very last mission took you back to, like, your second city. And so after, like, 80 hours of getting better at the game, you were like, oh, my God, what is this, like, pile of shit? <laughs> um, but because it's split into campaigns, like, you basically can't do that, right? Which is a bit yeah. of a shame. It's just not how it's set up. Yeah. But, but it would be interesting. Like, imagine if it gave you a shitty city, like, to start with. Could, oh, that'd could, be and fun. It's like, it's like you can't actually like it says no you can't destroy anything here because it's heritage listed good luck <laughs> i think this game had room to have really crazy missions um i don't think it needs to have all crazy missions but it definitely could have had a few more wilder ones early on although to, you know to be I'm fair i'm sure there are some cool custom campaigns out there because there's yeah. a map editor and everything yeah. so maybe we should be careful james like we're still pretty big noobs at this game we could be asking for more you know could be binding off more than we can chew yeah or maybe we just like needed to play like three more missions and then it would ramp up <laughs> i yeah. don't know i i kind of want to play that irrigation mission that you're on because um like that sounds more interesting than just having the like chunk of farmlands <laughs> Yeah, there's a bunch of um I think they're bears defending the <laughs> copper. It's it's not good. I that, that's a mission I stopped. I was like, uh I could keep trying to solve this, but I'm just gonna wait for the episode to complain about it. <laughs> I had um yeah, I had a number of uh animals like that I didn't sort like you just send your army there and then they kill them. Um Yeah, but it takes a while to get your army up and running, mate. <laughs> yeah, it does. So does it have any negative effect like what will happen is like your worker will walk past and a bear will maul them and you'll hear the sound effect um does anything actually happen or is it just like cosmetic i think you lose that person from your city oh just forever like well, you just I, I, lose I, a listen, population I, I don't actually know how it works but i assume you lose an employee from the building and you lose that person from your city and it has to be re 
restaffed with another employee. I don't actually know. I, I just assumed that was how it worked. Because one mission I had a bunch of copper mines like in the middle of some bears and I just like never did anything about it. So every like acceptable ten... casualties, right, James? <laughs> yeah. So like every ten <laughs> seconds I just heard this guy getting mauled by a bear. <laughs> I mean listen, it's it's a hard world. So. Uh, it is a harsh world. <laughs> um all right. It sounds like we're getting ready to wrap up, Patrick. Um, did you want to give us your final impressions on Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom? Absolutely. Um, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom is a fantastic game. Uh, w- what I love most about this game is the fact that it's a strategy game that is so welcoming to new players. Um, it's a game that gives you heaps of information it's a game that gives you heaps of control and it's a game that throws you know has a nice gradually increasing complexity so that you feel that you can rise to the challenge as you go from mission to mission to mission um once again it's by no means perfect james and i have talked about some of our criticisms there are some issues with some of the control of things there are some issues with direct control of units um i think that in some ways it can be a very repetitive game particularly in that early phase before you get to the interesting stuff but you can't deny the fact that the game is an intensely satisfying micromanagement puzzle and when things go wrong you can figure out why they're wrong and you can fix it and i never felt completely and utterly lost apart from one or two times where i had to (laughs) figure out a weird interaction that was happening that i didn't quite understand um in some ways, like this isn't a a war game like Heroes of Might and Magic Three, but in some ways, I think this is the best strategy game we've done. It's it's got a very uh, laser laser tight focus on the nature of that experience, but the experience is fantastic. Um, I had a great time with this game. Um, I'll probably take a break for a while before returning to it because. The repetitious nature means that I don't think you necessarily want to play 40 missions in a row, but I really enjoyed my time playing it over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I completely agree, basically. I think Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom is one of the comfiest games I've ever played. Like, I can just sit here and play it for, like, hours, and oftentimes, if I'm really enjoying the city I'm playing with, I'll even delay the mission a bit by not getting the resources just to, you know, finish off... You know, I wanted to make, you know, the industrial district a bit bigger and that kind of thing. It's just, I get a huge, I get an immense sense of satisfaction from, you know, putting stuff in its place and having everything just work. And I get a, you know, a huge drop in my stomach when suddenly every single person in the town just up and leaves and it all, <laughs> it all, it all turns to shit because uh, you didn't put your bushes in the right spot or some bullshit. I don't know. Um, but, you know, overall, I was really impressed at how good this game delivers information to the player, of how it teaches you naturally throughout the game. I would have liked, you know, more interesting missions, you know, a lot sooner into the game, more of a steeper, you know, difficulty progression. But overall, like, I am very happy to play more of this game, like Patrick said, and like I said earlier. I think this is a very Civ-like game. Play it, like, um, you know, like one mission every few months, and I'd be very happy to do that. 
um, but it does get a little repetitive if you play heaps of it in one go. But, you know, that that one mission a month, absolute, you know, delight to play. I really, really enjoyed my time with Emperor of the Middle Kingdom. And honestly, before this episode, like, I was still playing a game, um, you know, like two minutes before we started recording. And then when I came to recording, I lied to Patrick um, and told him I was messing with my microphone, but I'd actually forgotten that we were supposed to be recording because I got <laughs> so engrossed in playing this game. <laughs> so, um, Very yeah, devious, James. That's my, that's my, um, that's my recommend. Um, I absolutely <laughs> recommend this game. It was like, oh, like two dollars on sale or something as well. Man, you sold that lie really well. You, were, yeah, you, you sounded felt... very grumpy. <laughs> yeah, well... I, I bought it with Klein and Sinker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought I did well. Uh, it's a good game. Yeah, it's a good game. Um, if you've got any interest in like this kind of strategic management layer, particularly if you like the idea of micromanaging a city like right down to the to the building, I, I think you'll really enjoy it. And it's, it's good if you're new. Like... Uh, it's shocking what one of the consistent criticisms we have of these older games is that the learning curve is disastrous this is probably the game with the best learning curve of any game we've played on the show i I don't think that's an outrageous statement it's definitely got the gentlest learning curve like i never had it's also like the most forgiving game we've played probably like it's so it's so hard you gotta put the work in you 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 can't like it's forgiving in the sense that if you're paying attention and you're diligent it will forgive you but it's not forgiving in the sense like kirby's nightmare and dreamland was forgiving because you could kind of face roll your way through that game you can't face roll your way through this game yeah but you never you basically never have to restart a mission like you just the mission just keeps going until you meet the requirements right there's no time limits there's barely any failure states so if you're not very good at the game it'll just take you longer you never have to repeat missions like you don't have to you know ram your head into a wall over and over and over you know trying to beat the same bit of a level or anything like that you just yeah get, I, i'm just, just saying you need to, you need to understand what to yeah. do and yeah. I, th- I think that that's the that's the layer that is you know i think we've maybe undersold that a little bit like yeah. there's there's sometimes a, you'll spend five to ten minutes figuring it out like that that is part of the game um and i think that not everyone's going to have the patience to do that i don't know it just kind of naturally falls into place if you just keep playing the city i guess yeah and it's true and it does resolve itself quickly like i i you mentioned the hemp hemp shortage before and that certainly <laughs> happened to me where I was basically just waiting on the hemp to finish being farmed and then boom, mission success pretty much. Yeah, so anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to us talk about um, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom. As James mentioned, it's very cheap on GOG at the moment, so please do check it out if you've got any interest. Um, James and I make up the Retrospectives podcast. We review and discuss these classic games every single fortnight. Um, So we would love if you would come to our website, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to all of our social media stuff as well as a bunch, all of our episodes and also a bunch of articles that James and I have written about old games and new. 
Um, most importantly, uh, if you've got any thoughts about the episode you'd like to share with us or any recommendations for other games for us to check out and discuss, uh, please drop by our Discord server. Our Discord server is where we do most of our interaction with our community. It's a really cool community and we'd love for you to be a part of it. So we'll pop a link to it in the show notes and we'd love if you'd drop by. Oh, James, Emperor Rise of the Middle Kingdom was my choice. As always, I've chosen a brilliant video game. Um, what are we doing next Fortnite? Yeah, so we're playing a game that we've been planning to do for months now. Um, just trying to find the right format for it because it's a bit of a different one. We're going to be playing Street Fighter 2, um, a purely multiplayer game. Um, and Patrick and I have been preparing for this by playing other fighting games uh, in our spare time with each other because patrick you've never played a fighting game until this year correct that's right well you know i've picked up a controller to play some smash and i've at the arcade i've fiddled at the controls while playing tekken but i haven't played played a fighting game before you and i were playing fantasy strike mm. earlier this year yeah, so I've played quite a few um, with my friends and by myself, like a lot. Um, I've never gotten super into one, I guess. Oh, with Guilty Gear Strive this year, I played quite a bit of that. Um, but, you know, this will be a first for us doing a purely multiplayer game, and we're going to be trying... Uh, we're going to be trying to get some more people in on the action right yeah so the problem with street fighter 2 and the reason we haven't done it before this point is that it's a multiplayer game and the skill gap between james and i is going to be enormous i mean the fact of the matter is james just has way more experience in this genre than i do and if we were to play against one another it would be comical Although Fantasy Strike ended got, up being more reasonable than I expected. We got pretty close. Yeah, you were yeah, able to take a lot of I, games I was off playing, me. I was playing two characters and you were playing a different one every single time, to be fair. <laughs> like, that That's was fine. definitely part of it. I got to practice, practice, practice. But, but I still think it, it's an issue because it's very hard for me to be reviewing Street Fighter 2 when my experience is just playing against one person. So what we're going to do is we're inviting all of our listeners to come to our Discord and play some games. And the fact, the thing is, there's going to be people of all different skill levels. And I think that these games are best understood and best played and best experienced when you get to play different people. So I'm completely new to this game. I'm sure most people will be completely new to Street Fighter 2. And we want everyone who's interested to drop by and join in with us playing some games. Now, if no one comes in, James and I are just going to be playing a lot of games. But I think we're going to be able to give you guys a better discussion and better understanding of street fighter 2 if you come and play some games with us so if you want to play some games we'll post links about on how to get street fighter 2 set up on pc and we'll uh we'll kick some ass we'll get your ass kicked in patrick's case <laughs> yeah well yeah if, if you've got any experience of fighting games you'll be beating me down but maybe i'll learn something in the progress process and uh listen i'm no stranger to getting beaten to a pulp and, you know, I kind of enjoy, enjoy that process of learning. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to playing some games of Street Fighter 2 to see if I can get at this genre because it's just like something that I've never properly got into but something I've always appreciated from a distance. I, I look forward to because Patrick and I, we played Fantasy Strike, which is a game that has, you know, single button inputs for all of its moves. I, I look forward to... <laughs> patrick dropping every single input oh uh, yeah um, uh, that's that this is what i'm wary of like when 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 they were explaining how you have to like 
do do uh what is it you gotta do like semicircles and stuff yeah like, stuff like the, that with the stick it. i hate it so much <laughs> this fantasy strike game we were playing it's so simple to control that even an idiot like me understood how to do the inputs after a while but i i'm just gonna i don't know how to do a hadouken i don't want to know <laughs> well you're gonna have to i guess patrick's gonna be playing a lot of ryu over the next two weeks <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so um, thank you once again, everyone, for listening. Um, we'll see you in a fortnight for uh, our Street Fighter 2 episode, and we'd love for you to come and join the fun. See you then, guys. Bye.